Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath that we've had to study the book of Revelation. And in so many ways, we're really only scratching the surface, but at least we've had an opportunity to hit some, some major points. And I thank you for how you've worked through these meetings this week. And I pray that we would experience Christ and his righteousness. And as we have one more presentation here, may you make things very clear so that we will understand who we are and what you want us to be and of your promises to us. So be with me now. Give me the words to speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title for this last presentation is From Laodicea to the 144,000. Now, the Laodicean message is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Now, as a lifelong Seventh-day Adventist, growing up in a Seventh-day Adventist family, I've always been aware of the fact that we are the Laodicean church and that we are a lukewarm church. And I think the tendency for a lot of us to think is like, well, maybe, maybe I've been a little lukewarm, but um, you know, I, I can just get on, uh, be a little bit more on fire for Jesus and I'll be fine. And that's kind of the attitude of, of many Seventh-day Adventists. And as I studied the, the Laodicean message in more depth, I realized that there is so much that Christ is saying to the last of the seven churches that is so applicable to all of us. And so when we look at this message, we are going to find some very challenging things that are said to us as a church. Just realize that this challenge is coming from Jesus, the faithful and true witness. Now, one of the other reasons that I often feel compelled to share this message about Laodicea is because as a physician as well, I find that my job is to tell people what their problem is. Now, if you want to go see a bad doctor, just find someone that will make you feel good about yourself and give you some pain pills and whatever and not really tell you what's wrong with you. That's a bad doctor. They're afraid to hurt your feelings, and so they hide the fact that you have cancer and you could have been treated, you could have been helped, you could have recovered, but the doctor didn't want to hurt your feelings in the short term, and so in the long term, you end up in a worse spot. And unfortunately, I find that even though Christ has given us a very crystal clear Laodicean message that we need to follow, a lot of times the Seventh-day Adventists were like that bad doctor who doesn't want to tell the patient the truth. And we want to comfort ourselves into thinking that we're not really that bad, that yeah, maybe a few things could be better here and there, but we're, we're doing okay, and God is so gracious, he surely wouldn't mind that much. And while it is true that God is gracious and God is merciful, he's also making things crystal clear as to who we are as a people. And so my 
recommendation to you, I, a strong recommendation to you, is that you not only listen to the message that I present today, but that you go back on your own and open up Revelation 3, 14 to 22, and let the Spirit speak to your heart to see who you are. Because Jesus is telling us who we are. And she, Jesus is telling us what the remedy is. But a lot of times, we just kind of float through life thinking and feeling that we're fine and okay. And Revelation three fourteen to 22 suggests otherwise. So let's look at these verses. And before I read these verses, actually, I'm going to read a statement from Early Writings, page 270. I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. Now, I've also heard some people say it's time for the straight testimony, and then they give the straight testimony, and it's not Revelation 3, 14 to 22. It's their particular idea about some fanatical extreme viewpoint. So the, the straight testimony has been a term that's been abused, but I'm just going to let inspiration to define it and say that the straight testimony is the words of Jesus found in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. So when inspiration tells us that Revelation 3, 14 to 22 is the straight testimony, you know that you're going to hear something pointed. But it's from Jesus. That's the good news. It is from Jesus. So there's going to be a shaking. I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. This will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. Some will not bear the straight testimony. They will rise up against it and this is what will cause the shaking among God's people. I saw that the testimony of the true witness has not been half heeded. The solemn testimony upon which the destiny of the church hangs has been lightly esteemed if not entirely disregarded. This testimony must work deep repentance. All who truly receive it will obey it and be purified. This is what I see from this statement. Our church is lukewarm. And that becomes very clear when Jesus describes the, the judgment of our church. Laodicea means a judged people. And he says, you are lukewarm. So we are a lukewarm church. But a day is coming... When God's Spirit will come upon the hearts of many receivers or people in this church who will say, we are the Laodicean church. We have been lukewarm. We have been wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And Christ is showing us our true condition. Thank you for telling us, Jesus, who we really are. It is time to be zealous and to repent and to become on fire for Christ. And yet there's going to be another element in the church that says, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. I just want to hear what I want to hear from the Jesus that I want to believe in. Don't tell me that I'm not ready for heaven. Don't tell me that I need to change. Don't tell me that I'm not on fire for Jesus. I want to keep floating down the path I'm on and not make any changes. Don't make me change at all. 
And this will bring a shaking to Adventism that is going to happen just before Jesus comes back. And as more and more people become in tune with the Laodicean message, as more and more people become in tune with Christ in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, as more and more people start to listen to our great high priest who is the faithful and true witness, we are going to come to a greater understanding of who we really are and of the reality that this church needs to be shaken to its very core. And Jesus says in verse 14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. A witness gives testimony in court. And Jesus is the witness in the judgment hour of earth's history who is giving a faithful account of the condition of his judgment hour church. So I would suggest that you pay attention to what he says about us. And he is reminding us that he is the creator God. He is the beginning of the creation of God. And that connects to the first angel's message, to the Sabbath message, and all of that. But we've talked about that already. What does Jesus say to Laodicea? I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would you were cold or hot. You know, it's interesting that works has become like a four-letter word in Adventism, yet the very first thing Jesus says to Adventists, I know your works. And they're not hot, they're not cold. Now you may be saying, what does it mean to be not hot or not cold? You know, I came across an illustration, and I don't have the exact um, date of this article, but it was in the review, a letter to the editor, where someone was commenting, his name was Jan Doward, on a survey that was done among Seventh-day Adventists in the 1980s, and they were asked four questions. Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Do you have assurance of eternal life? Do you have family worship, and do you study the Bible every day? These are all good questions. And among Seventh-day Adventists, 63% said they have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Sadly, over a third of Seventh-day Adventists say they don't have a walk with Jesus. That was 30 years ago. I wonder what it would be like now. But 73% said they have an assurance of eternal life. So only 63% said they have an intimate relationship with Jesus, yet another 10% had assurance. But then we get to the family worship and Bible study, which if you really love Jesus, you're going to be thankful to spend time in his word every day and to bring your family before the altar and to spend time. 34% of Seventh-day Adventists say they study the Bible every day and 33% have family worship. There's a disconnect here. Oh yes, I have an intimate relationship with Jesus and I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not spending any time with him and I'm not bringing my family to spend time with him either. That would be like me saying that I have an excellent relationship with my wife and I talk to her maybe once every two weeks. And yet Laodicea thinks that this is okay. And Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would you were cold or hot. You are my judgment hour church. You are supposed to be my demonstration to the world of what I can do in your lives in the judgment hour of earth's history just before I come back. And yet you are not hot and you are not cold. 
And in verse 16, he says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, the King James says spew you out. That means I will vomit you out of my mouth. You make me want to throw up. Now, you may be saying, I thought this was coming from Jesus. Jesus says in the the following verses, As many as I love... I rebuke and chase. And you know, sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone is to tell them their true condition and to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Yet so many times our churches now have become, when someone's living in sin, we're afraid to say you're living in sin. And so we try to placate them and and sanctify their sin. And yet what we're really doing is we're making it harder for them to come back to God. And Jesus is saying, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. Now, you may be saying, on, where's the evidence that we are neither cold nor hot? Where's the evidence that we're lukewarm? Where's the evidence that Christ is going to vomit us out of his mouth? Why is Jesus saying this about us as a people? Let's keep reading in verse 17. Because you say... I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, Jesus is not saying because you have so much money, that's why you are in the condition you are in. Now, it is true that here in North America, because of the affluence of Western society, it makes it even more so for us to become lukewarm. I lived in Trinidad for two years. Some of you have lived in third world countries um, at times in your life. And poor in a third world country is very different than poor here in North America. So there's that element, but that's not really what Jesus is speaking of here. He's speaking of spiritually rich. Laodicea says, we are spiritually rich. We are spiritually increased with goods, and we don't need anything else. Now, this can fall on whatever spectrum of Adventism you may be in, but there are Adventists who will say, we have it all. We know the truth. We know Daniel 8, 14. We know the three angels' messages. We know where Jesus is in heaven right now. We understand all of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. We know that a Sunday law is coming, and so that's all we need. And yet at the same time, you're a grouchy, grumpy, mean, irritable, angry person all the time. But you know all of these truths. That's not going to take you anywhere. And that can lead you to be lukewarm and Laodicean. And then there can be the other side of things that would lead you to say, well, as long as I have Jesus, it doesn't matter how I live my life, so let's not worry about what we do. I just have Jesus. I don't need anything else. So that could apply to either side of the camp if you want to say such a thing. But Jesus is saying, you say you are rich, you say you are increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Let me show you a verse from Scripture that talks about what it means to be rich. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this is how it connects to the Laodicean message. In verse 18, Jesus says, you think you're rich, but you're not. You want to know how you need to be rich? 
He says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. So obviously, if all we had to do to get to heaven was to go buy gold, then we'd be good. But that's not what we're talking about here. What it means to buy gold is to experience faith that has gone through the fire of affliction. That's what it means to have faith. And to be rich in faith means that when your faith is tested in the fire of affliction, you come forth as gold. But here's what Laodicea says. We're rich. We like the gold we have. We like the faith we have. We like the righteousness we have. We have righteousness by faith. We have saving faith. We're on our way to heaven. We don't want to hear about this gold tried in the fire that will force us to be faithful to Jesus under the most trying circumstances. And yet so many of us are like the children of Israel. We're good Adventists when the going is good, but we're like the children of Israel when the going's bad. And it doesn't, what you're, it doesn't often matter what your theology is, whether you're, you believe certain things or don't believe certain things. There are murmurers and complainers among all ranks of Adventism. And Jesus is saying, you say you are rich and, have, and increase with goods and have need of nothing. You think you're rich. You think you have faith. You think you have righteousness by faith. But you're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And if we're naked, we don't have the garment of Christ's righteousness, which means we don't have righteousness by faith. And the amazing thing is is that Adventism has placed an emphasis on assurance of salvation, yet our emphasis has led us to not have the experience in righteousness and the experience in faith that will allow us to stand when Christ comes, on the, when, when the day of judgment comes to an end. So Jesus says, you are not righteous by faith. And in fact, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What does it mean to be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, I think you don't have to be a theologian to know that that's bad. (laughs) Right? And that's what Jesus says about Laodicea. Yet nobody nobody thinks of themselves as, as being wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Most Adonists think of themselves as being pretty good. But that's not what Jesus says about Adventism. And again, I said this last night, but a lot of Adventists have a tendency to say, well, I know someone who's lukewarm, but it's not me, and that means you're lukewarm. Let me show you a few places in Scripture that may give you a further insight into what it means to be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The word wretched is the Greek word talaiparos, and it is found in only two places in the New Testament and in all of Scripture, and that is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and in one other place. Do you know where that other place is? Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, 
who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, who is that wretched man in Romans 7? Well, when you get to verse 14, Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual. This is Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, this is a point that so many people have missed. But if you are sold under sin, that means you are a slave to sin. And Romans 6 says you are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And if you're slaves to righteousness or servants of Christ, you are actually his friends and you receive the free gift of eternal life. But if you are slaves to sin, you get paid. They're called the wages of sin, which is death. And Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I am a slave to sin. He's saying, if you want to know what it's like to be a slave to sin, let me tell you what it's like to be a slave to sin. And in verse 15, he says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. In other words, when I'm a a slave, I know what I want to do, but I don't have the power to do what I want to do. So I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do because I'm still a slave to sin. I have not my life fully to Jesus. And in fact, in Romans 7, 1 to 4, you're told that if you want to be married to Christ, the old man must be crucified. The body of sin must be destroyed that you should be married to another, even to him, to Christ, who is raised from the dead, because Christ does not commit adultery. He will only be married to one person at a time. And if you choose to be married to the old man, he's not going to be married to you. So you will be carnal, sold under sin, knowing that the law is right, knowing that the way of Christ is right, but you're still in slavery to sin, doing the things that you don't want to do, and not doing what you want to do, and that's the definition of slavery, and and unfortunately, this nation itself has a a bad history of the early years of this nation of slavery, where, where the Africans were enslaved, and they did the things they didn't want to do, and they didn't Um, get to do the things they wanted to do. That's a definition of slavery. You are in bondage to your master. You are in slavery to the old man of sin. And yet the amazing thing is that Romans 7 has been so often misinterpreted that most Christians and even some Seventh-day Adventists now believe that slavery to sin in Romans 7 is the righteous experience by faith on the way to heaven. And yet Christ is saying, and Paul is saying, that is slavery to sin. And that is the experience of Laodicea. We think that we're righteous, we think that we're okay, and some of us think that because we have a theoretical knowledge of truth, even if we're not living up to it, we're going to be okay in the end, but we're having the wretched experience of Romans 7 of doing the things we don't want to do and not doing the things that we want to do, yet we comfort ourselves in thinking that if we know theoretical truth, God will save us in the end, but yet we're still to sin. And then there are others who think that it's just perfectly fine to be slaves to sin and think that as long as you accept Jesus, yet you're still in slavery to sin, that that's okay also. And yet Jesus is speaking to everyone, this is not okay. It makes me want to throw up. And then miserable is the Greek word eleinos. It's found one other time in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, it's the same Greek word where Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now this is a hard saying, but this is Jesus speaking. 
But this is what Jesus is saying to Laodicea. You think you're rich and increased with goods, and you don't even know that you're miserable. And the sad thing about this is that because you're miserable, you don't realize that your hope in Christ is only for this life. You think that you have righteousness by faith, but you're still a slave to sin, and so your hope in Christ is really only for this life. You need to be zealous and repent of such a condition of slavery to sin. This is the faithful and true witness giving a straight testimony to Adventism. And you can see why Ellen White says this will bring a shaking to Adventism because there are going to be plenty of Adventists who will not want to surrender the thought of being slaves to sin while still being able to be saved in the kingdom of God. And yet Christ is saying if you want salvation, that slavery to sin must be put away. And by the grace of Jesus, it's certainly possible. And then he says, we're poor, blind, and naked. If you're poor, that's the opposite of rich. To be rich is to have faith, as we saw in 1 Peter 1.7. To be blind is to not see our true condition. And to be naked, of course, is lacking the righteousness of Christ. Now, you go to Zechariah 3, where Joshua is standing before the angel, and he has filthy garments. And you look at these artist renditions of this account, and often what they do is they'll have a white garment being placed over Joshua while he still has his filthy garments. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says actually that the filthy garments are taken away first and then the garment is placed over Joshua. Let me read a few statements as we move along here. This is Testimonies, Volume 5, page 101. With what fidelity do these words portray the present condition of the church? Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Messages of warning dictated by the Holy Spirit are borne by the servants of God. Defects of character are presented before the erring, but they say, that does not represent my case. I do not accept the message you bring. I am doing the best I can. I believe the truth. Beware if you say such a thing. It might just be that you're Laodicean. Now, that is the, what I would call the diagnostic portion of the presentation. As a physician, I prefer the treatment portion better. But you have to know the condition to get the treatment. So I've given you the condition. Well, it's how Christ has given us our condition. I've shared this with you. And I encourage you to go back and study this in more depth. But there is good news that comes after the bad news. Thankfully, Christ doesn't leave us saying, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I can't wait to vomit you out. That's not what he says. Christ doesn't want to vomit us out. And by the way, I might add, with the shaking, the vomiting out, prior to being vomited out, you are part of Christ's body. If you are vomited out, that means you're shaken out. Does that make sense? So you, either you remain by repenting and you remain in the body of Christ or you don't repent, you stay wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, you stay lukewarm, you get vomited out and you get shaken out and you won't stand in the judgment. That's what Christ is saying here. Okay, let's look at the prescription that Christ gives to us. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. 
And again, we saw that 1 Peter 1 verse 7, that's faith. And Ellen White says it's faith and love. So this faith that we gain through the trials of life, listen, nobody likes trials. And it, gold tried in the fire means you get burned. And the fire burns away the impurities. A trial is not just a simple one plus one equals two. Oh, that was, that was a little bit interesting. I thought that was going to be really tough, and we got through that in no trouble. That's not really a trial. A trial is actually hard. A trial really tries your faith. It tests your faith and confidence in God, but it gives you an opportunity to grow in grace and in your faith in God. That's what it means to buy gold tried in the fire. So the next time you have a trial, pray to the Lord and say, God, through this trial, teach me the faith that I need to have. Help me to exercise the faith that I need to have so that I can have this gold tried in the fire that you want to give to me. That's why you're having trials in your life because God is working to purify a people before he comes back. He says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. So the gold is faith. The white raiment is his righteousness. We need righteousness by faith as a people. Notice what Ellen White says about this garment. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 311. This robe woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character. And this character he offers to impart to us. By his perfect obedience, he has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. Notice now, we are slaves to Christ. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. It, to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness doesn't mean that Christ puts his robe over you while you knowingly continue to live a life of willful sin. To be clothed with the garment of his righteousness means to submit yourself to Christ, to have your heart united with his heart, your will merged in his will, your mind to become one with his mind. As Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Your thoughts are brought into captivity and into his thoughts. As scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You're not who you portray yourself to be to everyone watching you. You are who you are in the way that you think when nobody knows what you're thinking. And the thoughts are brought into captivity to him. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. Then as the Lord looks upon us, he sees not the fig leaf garment, not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but his own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. And then we're told to, to buy eye salve that we may see, which is um, discernment. Verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, 
Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And thankfully, under inspiration, we're told prophetically that there will be a group of people who will be zealous and repent. And going back to the statement where we see that a shaking is coming, in early writings, page 271, Ellen White says, I heard those clothed with armor speak forth the truth with great power. It had effect. I asked what had made this great change. An angel answered, It is the latter rain, the refreshing from the presence of the Lord, the loud cry of the third angel. In other words, when you are zealous and repent and you receive the message, God will pour out his latter rain upon us as a people and we will go forth like an army to give the loud cry of the third angel. Now, I've been studying this message for a few years and I realize I'm younger than some of you in this room. Sometimes we can become impatient as we wait for God to accomplish this work. Testimonies, volume 180, page 186 says, I saw that this message would not accomplish its work in a few short months. It is designed to arouse the people of God to discover to them their backslidings and to lead them to zealous repentance that they may be favored with the presence of Jesus and be fitted for the loud cry of the third angel. So it's, it's going to take time. It's not something that you come to one weekend and then you just walk away from that meeting and you're ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is going to take a period of time for the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts to prepare us for translation. Now let's go to verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus is standing and knocking at the door of Laodicea. If Jesus is standing and knocking at the door of Laodicea, where does that place Jesus with respect to the Laodicean church? On the outside. And, yet, and the, the reality is, is that many of us as Seventh-day Adventists are content to claim for ourselves an outer covering without a heart change. We're fine with accepting Jesus as our Savior as long as He covers us, but we don't want to let Him into our hearts to be the Lord of our life. And Jesus is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And Ellen White actually describes him here as the heavenly merchant man coming to sell his heavenly wares. And that is the gold, the white raiment, and the eye salve. He has something to give us. And he's not going to bang the door down. He's not going to force his way in. He gently and quietly stands at the door and knocks. And he gives us the opportunity to open the door. Now, the interesting thing is, is that if we let him come in, he promises that he will eat with us. Now, if Jesus comes in and eats with us, who is the host and who is the guest? If Jesus is standing at the door knocking, he's the guest trying to come in. And we are the host. And we have the opportunity to host Christ in our heart. And if we let him come in, he will eat with us. But who feeds who? Does the host feed the guest or does the guest feed the host? The host feeds the guest and we are supposed to be the host. So how is it possible that we feed Jesus when he's the bread of life? 
Well, go to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying, answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now let me say this to you. If you're content to let community services take care of the poor and the needy, there's a really good chance that you're Laodicean. Oh, I'll just let community services feed the homeless, and they're probably just trying to get five bucks off of me anyway, way to go buy alcohol and drugs. I'm not going to help them. I've seen a hundred of them now. They're no, up to no good. And you know, there are some people that are like that. I'm not denying that. And so you content yourself with saying, I know the truth. God, I thank you that I'm not like that vagabond who's trying to bilk me out of 10 bucks so that they can go buy drugs. I know Jesus and I know the truth and I'm on my way to heaven. And Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Let me come in because I'm hungry. And you can feed me with something. Now, let me say this. There is within the church sometimes an element called the social gospel that says we just need to feed the hungry and who cares about truth? If we just feed the hungry, we're doing the work of Jesus and it doesn't matter how you live your life otherwise. But James 1.27 doesn't say that. James 1.27 says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widow in their affliction, which would be to feed the hungry, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So it's both. And in the church, what we have right now, I believe, are two classes of people where some are focused on being unspotted from the world and others are saying, hey, we need to help the poor and the hungry, but they're not being unspotted from the world. And what we need is to blend so that we stay unspotted from the world, but we do the works of Christ and help those who are in need. And so when Jesus comes, look, you're not going to be able to opt out of this and just say, oh, you know what, I was too busy to feed the hungry. I was too busy to visit those who were sick or in prison or to help those who were in need. That's for community services to take care of. We have a department in the church that takes care of that, and I give offering to the church, so they're just taking care of that. That's Laodicean thinking, friends. And so we may know truth, but if we are not demonstrating the love of Jesus, it may very well be that we are lukewarm. And Jesus is saying, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will supper, eat with him, and he with me. So when we hear Jesus standing at the door and knocking, we realize that we need a conversion experience. And we say, Lord, I am sorry. I've been lukewarm. I've been wretched. I've been a slave to sin. I've had the Romans 7 experience. I've been wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I don't have your righteousness. Please come in, Lord. And as Jesus comes into our hearts, we then start to see people as Jesus sees them. 
And we don't label people with bad names and put them into camps. We simply see them as Jesus sees them. And we help the people that Jesus wants us to help. And we demonstrate the righteousness of Christ through acts of service to the poor and the hungry and those who are sick and in prison. And then Jesus says in verse 21, To him that overcometh, Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne? Ellen White has a correlating statement. Testimonies, Volume 1, page 187. Those who come up to every point and stand every test and overcome, be the price what it may, have heeded the counsel of the true witness, and they will receive the latter rain and thus be fitted for translation. Get this, friends. The Laodicean message is designed to prepare us for translation. We are not ready for translation. We are lukewarm. We think that we're okay. We think that we have what we need on our way to heaven, that if we just profess the name of Jesus and come to church and maybe pay tithe and do a good thing here or there, perhaps, that God will be content with the lives that we are living. Yet the reality, friends, is that we are living in the judgment hour of earth's history, and Jesus is about to come, and he's standing in the most holy place of the sanctuary in heaven, and he's the faithful witness giving testimony in court, and he looks looks down at his Seventh-day Adventist and what he sees are a bunch of lukewarm people who are more focused on the present life of living in this world and of doing our jobs and whatever we may be doing. And he sees a group of people who are content with lukewarmness. And what he's trying to impress upon Adventism is that we need a complete heart change that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and that it's time to stop being complacent and content to be like everybody else around us, that it's time to start listening to Jesus and to repent and to follow him and to hear his still small voice as he knocks on the door of our hearts. And as we let him come in, this is the same thing as the mystery of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Christ in you, the hope of glory, yes, it involves involves overcoming every sin in our lives, but it also includes being like Jesus and having a heart for people like Jesus and helping people the way Jesus would help them and not saying, oh, well, my pastor will do that or the elder will do that or my church department, the community services will do that. No, you are to be a witness to the ends of the earth of Jesus yourself. Don't expect that you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit under the power of the louder rain to give a loud cry when the earth is lightened with its glory to be a demonstration of the character of God if you're not willing to help the poor, the needy, and the downtrodden even now, right now. And we as a church need to repent of our indifference to the least of these, our brethren. God is working to bring conviction to our hearts and minds that we will be ready for the coming of Jesus. We as a Laodicean church have left Jesus outside the door. And we think that if we make a profession of godliness, that that will be good enough. But a day is coming when many Seventh-day Adventists are going to hear the voice of the faithful and true witness, and they will let Jesus come in, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we will go from a lukewarm church in the seventh church to the time we get to the end of the seals. The 144,000 are sealed in their foreheads, and that 
group of people, the 144,000, come from that second advent movement described in Revelation chapter 10 that Jesus raises up so that the mystery of God can be finished, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you go from Laodicea to the 144,000 from the second advent movement who will be the revelation of Jesus Christ so that Revelation 18 can happen, so that the angel can come down from heaven, so that the earth will be lightened with the glory of God's character just before Jesus comes back. And when the world sees that we are like Jesus, they will actually listen to what we have to say. And that is what we as Seventh-day Adventists need right now. And if you want to have that experience, I would invite you, as far as possible, to kneel with me as I say a closing prayer as we come to the end of our presentations. If you want to have this experience of letting Jesus come in to do the works of Jesus and to be kind and loving like Jesus, that is what we all need. And that is what the book of Revelation is all about. And that is what we are here for. So let's kneel and pray as far as possible. Father, I thank you for everyone who has come to these meetings this weekend. And I know that we all need to be zealous and to repent, that we have all fallen short of your glory and have sinned and that we have been Laodicean, that we have been lukewarm. Forgive us for being in such a condition that it makes you want to throw up. Help us to learn to love you so that we will live our lives in a way that will bring honor and glory to your name and that we will let you come in and that we will buy gold tried in the fire and white raiment and eye salve so that we will have your righteousness by faith and that you will dwell in our hearts and that Christ in us, the hope of glory, will be a living reality and that we will then go forth with that experience to help those who are poor and hungry and needy and who need the love of Jesus in their hearts and in their lives. Forgive us for where we've fallen short of this and may we by your grace come up to the standard that you've given to us. And by your grace, may we be overcomers at last and fitted for translation. And may that day be very soon, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.